At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Hallelujah. Let's continue to give God all the praise as our children move into children's ministry. Let's give a round of applause for our children. Come on. We got to praise our kids and let them know that they're worth it, right? So as our kids make our way to kids' ministry, we continue to give them praise. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Uh, how many of you would like to continue to bless God for the men of Woodside? All men up here? Come on, I love that. No disrespect to the ladies, but I just, I like hearing men singing praises to Jesus. Amen. So we're here again, uh, but again, it's not just another Sunday. This is a gathering that's a holy, sacred assembly, a holy gathering. Anytime God's people get together and he is going to be ministering to us. And I'd like to start our time together with a question. Uh, is, have you ever been caught off guard or unprepared for something? Amen? Yeah, you have been? It, it can be frightening sometimes being caught off guard. It can be startling sometimes. It can even be like really exciting sometimes for like a surprise party or something like that. You know, being caught off guard when something happens that you're just not expecting, it can elicit a lot of different emotions. And sometimes there's no way to know exactly what will happen. So we're questioned with like, what else could I have done or what, what could I have done differently? Does anybody else feel that? Anybody? Ah! Right? So, so being caught off guard sometimes, you, you can be left unprepared and you can think like, well, what else could I have done? How, how could I have been prepared for something like that? Why at before noon on a Sunday did the pastor just scream at me? Like, what is going on? Why would he do that? There's almost, almost no way you could have been prepared for me to yell at you because I didn't tell you it was going to happen. Uh, and because I've never done that before. But as we continue on in this series in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Jesus told us these things would happen, but he didn't say exactly when they would happen. So if you know something's going to happen, you can be a little bit more prepared for it. You may not know exactly when. If I would have got up here and said, hey, church, I just want to let you all know, I'm going to scream at you sometime before noon. Right? You would have been prepared at least. You may not have known exactly when it was going to happen, but you would have known that it was going to happen. Therefore, you would live in preparation for those few minutes. So, as we look at the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. We're going to pick up at, cha at uh, chapter 24, verse 36 today. We're going to see how we are called to live in readiness and preparation, knowing that Jesus said he will return, but we don't know exactly when he will return. And this is, again, exactly why we've been preaching this sermon series called What Now? 
The, the subtitle is How Tomorrow Shapes Today. Jesus, when he's preaching in the Olivet Discourse to his disciples after he has descended from the temple in Jerusalem and now has ascended the Mount of Olives and he is up there teaching his disciples, telling them about the signs of the end of the age, about the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, the coming of the Son of Man. He is telling them all these things that they need to be looking for. And we're trying to get a handle today of how we are called to live with tomorrow in mind and how that shapes how we're supposed to live today. So Jesus telling his disciples about things that were going to take place, ultimately telling them about a great tribulation that would take place that is still in the future for us. So if Jesus is like a great leader, getting his people ready for something that is going to come, and that event has not come for us yet either, we have something to learn from the Olivet Discourse. Amen? Okay, so we're going to look here as, as Jesus is telling his disciples how these events are going to unfold, as he's preparing them for the ministry that will be before them, as he's preparing them for the signs of things that they might see. And again, he is a great leader, the best leader we have ever known. And what is he doing? He's getting his people ready for what is to come. So that leads us to our big idea and our key question for today. Are you ready? Are you ready for what is going to come? Are we prepared for what is going to come? Now, again, I shouted at you, and for any of you who are still, your heart rate is still racing, I apologize, but we needed to understand what it felt like to be caught off guard for something because it's very important for our text today. So you may be asking the questions, how do I know if I'm ready? How could I get ready? I don't know exactly what, what is being talked about. And we've, we've talked about in the Olivet Discourse for the last four weeks, we've talked about this event that, that happened in 168 B.C., this event that happened in 70 A.D. And if a generation meant 40 years or 70 years or 1,000 years or if it meant a state of mind or is this going to happen, isn't this going to happen, this already not yet kingdom, this pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, ah-mill, pre-mill, post-mill, all these words that I'm just throwing around, and if those words don't mean anything to you, you're probably better for it, right? So you're not confused by all this stuff, but what we're, what we're going to look at today is Jesus moving from essentially the theology of the coming of the Son of Man to the praxology of what we're supposed to do about it, how we're supposed to actively walk. So he's teaching his disciples this, and it is important for us today as well. So as we ask and answer the question, are you ready? We're going to read chapter 24, starting in verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. 
Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Point number one for how we know if we are ready is to be prepared. We need to be prepared. So as we have been walking through this series together on Sundays, if you've been with us, you've been tracking along week after week. If you haven't been with us, we're, again, this series called What Now, where we're going through the Olivet Discourse. And we saw last week the signs of the coming of the Son of Man and the lessons that we could learn from the fig tree, where Drew preached uh, about these signs that were coming. And and he talked to us about how uh, maybe not everything in prophetic literature is meant to be taken exactly literally, but studying the Bible literally is the best way to initially approach it, but in prophetic literature or apocalyptic literature, not everything's meant to be taken literally, and we had this this kind of up and down about what a generation might actually mean, and Jesus says to his disciples, you will know that spring is coming when the fig leaf begins to sprout tender leaves. So he's saying, you need to pay attention to the signs. You need to see what is coming, and Jesus is not being quite so predictive about what is to happen. He's not saying, I'm telling you these things so that you can predict when this is going to come. He's being descriptive, saying you need to be paying attention. You need to stay awake. You need to be ready. You need to be prepared. There's going to be false teachers. There's going to be false prophets. There's going to be false messiahs. So you need to be on guard and be prepared for when these things are going to come. So Jesus ministering to his disciples, preaching this message that we just read uh, the first few verses in point number one of being prepared. He makes two things. Somebody say two things. He makes two things abundantly clear. One, he is going to come back, right? It is undoubtedly clear that Jesus says, I am going to come back. Two, no one knows when he's going to come back except the Father, right? So Jesus, again, is talking so much more about timing here about not predicting the timing, but living in a way where we are prepared and ready. He's telling us to be prepared at all times because nobody knows the hour of the day. And it's important for us to, to kind of understand this a little bit theologically, right? Jesus saying, I don't know something, right? That begins to challenge some of our theology, doesn't, right? So I think that when Jesus is on earth here, 100% man, 100% God, telling them that not even the Son, not even the angels, only the Father knows at the time, is showing us how Jesus on earth was entirely and only faithful to God the Father. Whatever God the Father did, said, Jesus was obedient. So he is showing, while he was on earth, his subordinate obedience to God the Father in heaven. Now, I I wholeheartedly believe that we have a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they are three in one. They did not come in modes. It wasn't God the Father, then God the Son, then God the Spirit. God is God at all times, triune all the time. So when Jesus says, not even the Son knows, I believe he's speaking from the perspective of him on earth right here, right now. I don't know exactly what's going on in heaven. I don't know if you know, God is going to hit the two-minute warning before it's time for Jesus to come back. We don't know that necessarily, but when we get promoted to glory, our minds will be enlightened, and we will see, and we'll be able to ask all these questions. But I think the most important thing for us right now about Jesus saying that is that we need to understand his faithfulness. So the crux of really what we're going to aim today is Jesus's faithfulness. That he was faithful to God the Father at all times, in all ways, and he's calling us to be faithful 
in all times and all ways. So again, he's saying the timing, no one knows. He's telling you, you need to be prepared, and then he starts to illustrate it. So Jesus really only gives like a handful of sentences in this text that we're going to study today, and then the rest is illustration. So he, he knows that we need help understanding what is going on, and he illustrates it beautifully. So verses 37 through 41, he, he says this is what it's going to be like. He's, he's comparing the coming of the Son of Man. When he comes back, he's comparing it to the days of Noah. And, and why is it going to be like that in those days? He's saying that in the days of Noah, everybody was eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, which basically means they were just living their best life, right? They, they were just continuing on with their life as though nothing was going to change. They were living it up. They were partying, right? They had this weird neighbor, Noah, who was cutting down all the trees and building a boat in his front yard. Like, can you imagine how strange that would be also? Like, can you imagine like leaning out the, the kitchen window with your spouse and be like, wow, Jim has lost his mind, honey. Like, what on earth is he doing? It hasn't rained in a while. He's building a big old boat. Noah doesn't even build boats, right? So everybody was just carrying on with their life. And Noah looked a little crazy at the time. And so will the people who are faithful to God's call. They'll look a little peculiar. Amen? And Jesus says the coming of the Son of Man will be like that in those days where everybody's just carrying on with their business. And then he comes. Everything was carrying on until Noah entered the ark. Everything was carrying on as normal until it started to rain. So Jesus is saying, there is a day coming. When I come back, when the coming of the Son of Man happens, nobody's going to know when it's going to come. Nobody's going to know exactly when it's going to happen. But when it does come, everyone will know that it has come. Right? When Noah was building the boat, everybody was like, that's, that's strange. It doesn't make any sense. But it, you have to also look at what, what Jesus is saying. He's saying that when the, water, when the rains came and the floods came, what did it do? It swept everyone away. So Jesus is talking about the unrighteous right now. Jesus is talking about the unbeliever right now. He did not say that Noah and his family were totally caught off guard. He said they were being faithful to the call. He said that when the waters came, it swept everyone away. So he's talking about what it will feel like for the unrighteous when he comes back. What it will feel like for the unbeliever when he comes back. What it will feel like when God's judgment has again descended upon the earth. Remember in Genesis 6 when God says he saw the intention of man's heart was only evil always, even from his youth. And then the floods came and swept them all away. So Jesus is saying that for the unbeliever, for the unrighteous, for those who have not put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, they will have absolutely no idea it's coming and then it comes and God's judgment is upon them. And it's going to be horrifying and it's going to be swift and it's going to be undeniable. Now, now many people have, have probably lived their lives like this. Let, let's just uh, see if we got some honest people in here. How many of you have maybe said, like, I'm just going to live it up this weekend and ask for forgiveness on Monday? Oh, yeah. A couple, if you laughed, your hand should have gone up, okay? I, I appreciate that. Someone raised their hand and was like, what, you have it too? Like, everybody's done that, right? Now, maybe you got lucky. Obviously, all of you did right, where Jesus didn't necessarily come back. Now, I don't have numbers to support uh, this proposition, but I would say that many a time, even though somebody said, I'm going to live however I want to live, and, and I'll, I'll get it right before Jesus comes back, you may not get it right before he calls you, right? So we need to understand the unexpectedness of this coming, of this returning. We need to understand this living a life of preparedness at all times, because Jesus said for the unrighteous, for the unbeliever, they will have no idea the flood comes and sweeps them all away. So he's telling his disciples, you need to be prepared 
He's asking them the question, are you ready? Are you ready for this coming? You don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm telling you it is absolutely going to happen. And then he kind of expands upon this illustration, pointing, him out, pointing out the immediate and sudden separation, right? Where he says, two men will be in the field, and on that day, one will be taken, the other one will be left. He says, two women will be grinding wheat or flour at the hand mill. One of them will be taken, one of them will be left. So again, he's not talking about the prediction of the timing, He's talking about the unexpected nature of his return. That for all of us in here right now, I pray to God that every one of us have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And if you have not yet, I pray that today his word will be compelling enough for you to make a decision because the unexpected return is coming. It may come this afternoon. It may come as I'm preaching. It may come in a thousand years. I don't know. Jesus said it's going to happen, so I believe it's going to happen. Amen? But we need to be prepared. So he's telling us about the immediate unexpected nature of his return not not challenging whether or not he's going to come not even challenging the timing but that it will be unexpected when he comes back and that's verse 40 and 41 verse 42 he says stay awake stay awake because you don't know when the lord is coming back now he's not saying like go stock up on five-hour energy or make sure you have two cups of coffee every morning. It's not that. It's not stay physically awake. It is stay spiritually alert. Make sure that you are spiritually alert of what is going on around you. Make sure you are consistently walking in readiness and preparedness and faithfulness unto the Lord. So the word he uses here for stay awake uh, is, is a Greek word that I think should have just stayed a Greek word and not been translated into English. Because it carries so much more weight with it. And it's a present tense, perfect present tense word, which means like continuous. So it should, it should read, keep staying awake. Keep watching, therefore. Don't ever stop staying awake. Don't ever stop watching. And the, and the word here is gregoreo. Gregoreo is the Greek word that he uses here. And I want to read the definition of what this word means because I think it adds a little bit more to us, right? So for the people that are maybe considering like, uh, I'll be fine until Jesus comes back. I'll get it together before that day and then I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. This is, this is what he says. What this word defined means, when it says, stay awake for you do not know what day your Lord is coming, it, let, let's read it this way. Take heed unless through forgetfulness or negligence and laziness some destructive calamity suddenly overtakes you. This is what preparedness looks like, that we can't be forgetful, we can't be negligent, we can't be lazy. That's not going to be an excuse for when the Son of Man returns or for when our life ends suddenly. How many of you know exactly when you're going to die? Two of you do? Hallelujah. Can you tell me afterwards? Like, can we have a meeting after, after service? Because I, I would like to write a book on your behalf. This is the reality that Christ is working out. He's saying, we don't know. It's unexpected. We're never going to know exactly when it's going to happen. So we have to be ready. We have to be prepared. We have to continue. As he says in verse 44, you must also be ready. So again, Jesus' point here is not to discuss the timing of what's going to happen. He's saying it is going to happen. And as he's teaching his disciples, and as we are hearing from the Olivet Discourse today, most of us, many of us probably in this room, disciples of Jesus Christ, having put our faith, hope, and trust in him as our Lord, we still have to live ready. We still have to live prepared. But for any of us who have not, we see what this judgment is going to look like. We see what this sweeping away is going to look like again. So he's saying, why should we be ready? Because we don't know. So we should always live ready. And this doesn't mean you have to be stressed out or crazy, right? Or move to the woods with a bunch of pork and beans and bottled water, right? Wow. 
I'm going to keep that one on my A-roll. Most of my jokes don't get quite that response. <laughs> so I, I'm not necessarily saying that that's not, not what you're supposed to do. I'm saying that being prepared does not necessarily mean that you have to live as though doomsday is coming. If you are a Christian, being prepared means being spiritually alert, looking for Jesus all the time. Looking for the return of Christ. And that's going to be a rejoicing moment. It's going to be a great moment. But for those who have not experienced that, it's going to be a very difficult moment. But he is coming back. Again, we know he's coming back because he said he was coming back. Amen? But we don't know when. He says it right here. No one knows the day or the hour. I have a riddle. And if you were part of first service, don't answer this, okay? Deal? Good. There is something that happens to all of us. Something that none of us know when it's going to happen. And something that most of us think will never happen to us. Any guesses? That's the right answer, and especially here. But, but let's, let's get a little bit before that. It is getting old. Amen? Okay, good. Yeah. So, you, like, when I was young, and now that I am in the ripe old sage wisdom of 35... Um, you know, I, I thought I would never get old, right? I would, that would never be me, right? I'm, I'm in great shape, and now I'm not. Now I'm just A-shape. I'm not in great shape anymore. Uh, but uh, when I was really young, when I was in, like, my teens, uh, we would go down to southern Illinois uh, where my grandparents lived. And Ralph Barnett, he, his name, uh, he was my grandfather. We called him Papa. Uh, and Papa had some traditions, right? And, but, and like, I was always just astounded, right? Because when you're young and you look at your grandparents, you're like, what happened to you? Like, what, why, why are you like this? You know, right? Like, and you just can't imagine that they were young once either. You're just like, this is too weird, right? So Papa, he had a tradition. On Sundays, uh, he would have his big beer mug, but it was full of milk and ice. And I was like, that's just, you're weird, man. This is strange, right? And saltine crackers with butter and jelly on them. Papa was a hillbilly, in case y'all haven't figured that out yet. Uh, and at about 3.30, right when the NASCAR race was about to end, right, every Sunday, this is what he'd do, he'd sit in his chair, and he would be sitting down in his chair, right, drinking his iced milk. Just like, this is just weird. I still can't get over it. Uh, and he would, you know, the NASCAR race would end. He'd turn the TV on and be like, yep, yep. Yep, time for bed. I'm like, I'm like, what are you talking? What are you doing? What are you? I'm like, the sun is out. It's not even like 4 p.m. Why? Why are you doing this? So, it was something that he got old. He probably didn't know it was going to happen exactly when it happened. And lo and behold, I got old too, right? And we never know the day it's going to happen, right? Never in my life did I think I was going to be make noises when you stand up and sit down, guy, right? But I am. Right, and, I, and I, I, like, I still try and hide it, but like, when I get home, my family will attest to it. Like, I, get, I go to the kitchen table after I get home, I'm like, yep. <sighs> it's just like, why did I say that? Why did I affirm that I was sitting down? That, that, it's just strange, right? Like, and then when you get up, and you, know, you guys know what it feels like when you get old, and you need to motivate yourself to get up. You're like, come on. And like, you stand up, and now I, like, I used to just pop up out of bed, now my upper half pops up, and then my lower half swings off the bed, and I crack my ankles and stretch my knees, and I'm like, okay, here we go. My feet are on the floor, now my children, Judah, my, he was up really early today, and this was just like a, a, a testament to how old I am. He grabbed my slippers and brought them to me without even asking, because he was like, I think somewhere deep down inside, he was like, I know this is going to be harder for you than it is for me, <laughs> right? So like, he's just being kind. 
right? So, as we look at this thing that happens to all of us, none of us know when it's going to happen, and most of us don't think it's going to happen to us. As we look at Jesus' second coming, something that we know is going to happen, we don't know when it's going to happen, and most of us think we'll get it right later. We need to be very prepared, very watchful, very vigilant, and very faithful. So how do we make this spiritually applicable to us today, right? What are we supposed to actually do about this today, right? It's not about physically getting old. That's not why Jesus is preaching the Olivet Discourse. It is about our our salvific experience. I don't know if there's a text that outlines salvation better, right? As we get into our second point, you're going to see with crystal clarity what faithfulness and wickedness will beget you, right? We'll see that with crystal clarity as we continue on. So, but, But what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do about this practically, spiritually today? Are we supposed to all get together and and gather up all of our collective brain power and roll out papers on the gym floor and carry the one and and pick this day to the seventh power and figure out exactly when Jesus is going to return? No, that's not how we're supposed to live. That's not what being prepared or faithful looks like. Should we spend all of our time trying to pinpoint in the Bible what literally thousands of years of biblical scholars say no one actually knows, but when you've got, you know, random guy who says, I can tell you when for $44.95 and shipping and handling, right? There's always somebody who's going to tell you when it is, but if, if centuries of biblical scholars haven't been able to pinpoint a day, why, why should we spend our time trying to figure that out? That is exactly what Jesus is warning against. He's saying, no one will know the timing. It will happen, and it will be unexpected. So what is he wanting us to do? He's wanting us to live our life ready for him, living our life looking for him, being prepared, honoring Christ through actions of love, devotion to God, not just doing devotionals, being devoted to God, not just doing spiritual rhythms to do them, but to get to God, standing firm in the faith that we see in 1 Corinthians, continuing steadfastly in prayer that we see in Colossians, being ready for every good work or every, every good endeavor that we see in Titus. This is what being prepared looks like, church. This is what we're supposed to do every single day, every single minute, every single hour. We can't wait until when we think we might see Jesus coming back until we're going to try to get it right. We have to be prepared, ready right now. So if we're going to be ready for Jesus' coming, first we have to be prepared We have to be ready and awake, right? That we're constantly awake for what is coming, spiritually awake. And this doesn't have to be stressful. And I know that when I'm saying these things, many of you are getting stressed out right now, right? Your heart rate is raising because you're like, I got to always be ready. No, Jesus was always ready for obedience. And I read a great book called An Unhurried Life written by Alan Fadling. And in the first paragraph, he said, I'm going to describe Jesus's ministry in one word. The word was relaxed. I was like, no, that's wrong. And then I read it more, and I was like, oh, I'm wrong. Jesus was relaxed every day of his ministry. Why? Because he was faithful every day of his ministry. He knew he could go to God's presence to get further instructions. He knew he could retreat in weakness after having performed miracles to be with his father to return in power. He knew that he wasn't going to go anywhere on his own volition. It was only going to be in faithful obedience to what God the Father said. That is not a life of stress. That is a life of, I am ready for my next instructions, Father. Thank you, and I will go. Because Jesus knew the very best way for him to be obedient was to listen to everything God said, and that would be how he's supposed to live his life. Why is it that we don't? 
Why is it that we get so concerned? Why is it that we have one, three, and five-year plans in our life, and then we ask God to bless them instead of consulting with him beforehand? What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do right now, God? I need to be in your presence so I can get further instructions to continue in my obedience to ultimately be found faithful. That's point number two. If we're going to be ready, first we need to be prepared. Second, we need to be faithful. Let's read verses 44, excuse me, 45 through 50, and then we'll come back to 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom, whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. We'll come back to verse 51. So again, Jesus makes another comparison about faithfulness and wickedness, about being ready, living prepared, living faithful versus having negative character traits of saying, I don't know when he's going to come back, and the wicked servant. So let's look at what these things say. So when, when he says a, a household servant, I, I, just, I usually think of Alfred and Batman, right? Like somebody who is just faithful all the time to the household. He's always willing to serve the household. Doesn't matter. And I, I'm always like, Alfred's a pretty cool guy. Why does he always seem to, you know, like get talked down to or whatever it is? But he's just being faithful to the call that was on his life. He's willing to serve the household, even if it means somebody else is going to get propped up and get the glory and, and get whatever it is. But we know that without Alfred, there's no Batman. Amen. It's okay. You can say amen about Batman. It's all right. I know, I know it feels a little weird. So Jesus says that there is a servant who has gotten a call from his master for what he's supposed to do, how he's supposed to live, making sure everything happens at its proper time, making sure all the people in the house are fed at their proper time, making sure everything happens at its proper time. And then what does Jesus say about this person? Who, when the master returns, he's found faithful. He says he is makarios in the blessed in the in the Greek, which means it's the same blessing as the Beatitudes. It means supremely happy, divinely blessed, internally satisfied, wise and virtuous. Doesn't that sound like something you would like to have on your life? Doesn't that sound like when the master comes home and finds this faithful servant, that this is what he says to him. You are blessed, and because you've been faithful, I'm going to set you as ruler over all my possessions. This is the same story that Jesus has told over and over and over again in the New Testament, right? Think about the story of the prodigal son. Think about the story of being found faithful over a little so that you will be set as ruler over much, right? It's the same story that Jesus is saying. He's saying that even though I've given you my instructions, you have the word, I've left, I am coming back, you need to be found faithful. And then what happens when we go to see God? Well done, my good and faithful servant. So we're called to be ready. We're called to be prepared. We are called to be faithful. Jesus gives an incredibly positive example of faithfulness here. Where he says, supremely happy, divinely blessed, internally satisfied, wise and virtuous. I can't imagine anything else I would like to be called, right? Like if people said like, you know, he's all kinds of other negative things, but he could tell a good joke once a quarter at church. Like, I, I don't care about any of that. I want these things to be said about my life. And Jesus is telling me how I can have these things said about my life. Because the master has left, and me, his servant, 
I'm called to be faithful to what he's told me to do. He's gone for I don't know how long. He may come home tonight. He may come home in a couple weekends. How many of you ever had a party when your parents went out of town in high school or college? Amen. I, I raised two hands in the first service too. I only had parties when my parents were out of town. Like there wasn't ever. It was only. How many of you uh, have ever had your parents come home sooner than when they said they were going to be home? Ooh, yeah. Isn't that exciting, right? That, that feeling you get in your stomach, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to die today. Like this is it. And those are just really simple, practical illustrations. Jesus outlines what happens to the person that had a party when his parents left with the wicked servant where he had some destructive self-talk and he said, you know, the master may never be coming back. And he himself as a servant starts to beat the other servants and he starts to bring shame and disrepute onto the name of the master and onto the name of the house as he's out with drunkards, as he's out doing shameful things. Everybody knows he's a servant of the house. If you're a servant of a house, people know what house you represent. All of us who have put our faith, hope, and trust in Christ, we are servants of the same master. So are we going to be the faithful servant or the wicked servant? Let's see what happens to the wicked servant in verse 51. Jesus gets really real real quick, right? What's, uh, I shouldn't say the lyric. I think there's curse words in it. Zero to 100 real quick, right? If you laugh, you need to change your music habits, Okay. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he didn't get grounded because he was being unfaithful. Because he was living with drunkards and he was bringing shame and disrepute to the name of the master in his house. It says he would be cut into pieces and then called a hypocrite which is the chief sin in Matthew's gospel. It's what Matthew uses to explain the people who are the, at the deepest enmity with Christ. Do I have any kids from school at church here? No, they're in kids' ministry. We talk about hypocrites a lot, and they're fake actors, and talk about how many hypocrites we see in church. People that are fake in their life. And then he says he will be cast into a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Every time Christ says that in the New Testament, he's talking about one place, hell. So the servant didn't get grounded. The servant didn't get a spanking. The servant who got the instructions from the master when he left, which all of us have if we've been sitting here in this church, you've heard the words, you've heard what he said. They get cut into pieces, labeled amongst the worst sinners of all, and the highest enemies of Christ, and are cast into hell. Again, I don't see another text that is a clearer representation of faithfulness and wickedness to the gospel call. So I, I think for all of us, we would love to be found faithful, amen? We would love to be found faithful and blessed and supremely happy and divinely blessed and internally satisfied and wise and virtuous, rather than cut into pieces, labeled amongst the chief sinners, and thrown into hell. When you put it like that, it's a pretty easy decision, isn't it? But for many of us, we, we play around with unfaithfulness pretty regularly. You know what happens if you're unfaithful at your job over and over again, right? If your boss says, I'm going to fire you if you do this one more time. 
right? You may not do it, but if you do get fired, real quick, I'll get another job. I'll bounce back. Or if you are a person who is opposite of faithful, unfaithful, or wicked, as Jesus calls it here, with your friends or in relationships, you become to be a disappointment to your friends and untrustworthy. Or if you're unfaithful in a marriage, it leads to divorce. We play around with this stuff like it's no big deal. Jesus is saying you can't play around with it when it comes to me. You can't play around with faithfulness to my gospel. Either you're going to be found ready, prepared, and faithful. Or if you're going to run around and, and pretend like, well, he didn't come back yet, so I'm going to get away with it for a couple more weekends. Or uh, somebody here said something to me uh, just this past week. Uh, and it, I think it like outlines the place that honestly many of us are in is that they knew they were going to do something sinful and they pre-asked for forgiveness. Forgive me for what I'm about to do. And I appreciate that honesty because that's where so many of us are. We're like, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or I know I'm supposed to be faithfully following Jesus, but I'm going to faithfully follow my flesh right now. Or I know I'm not supposed to be spending time with that man or that woman, but God wants me to be loved, right? God wants me to be, feel special, right? This person makes me feel special. Or God wouldn't want me to be in so much pain, so I'm just going to get drunk every night and I'll wake up and I won't feel the pain. He's pretty clear about how we're supposed to be found, friends. And, and I'm not standing up here trying to beat anybody up. I'm standing up here saying, are you ready? Are you prepared? I want everyone in here to be prepared. I want everyone in here to heed the words of Jesus Christ and see every single day, not just on Sundays or when company comes over unexpectedly, right? How many of you have ever had somebody drop in on you unexpectedly? And you're like, oh, <laughs> clean everything. All oh, this is only here. The cleaning lady's late. Uh, I would have had a dessert for you. Although every time I've been over to Miss Bernice's house, she has had dessert for me. So maybe you should go there more often, church. I'm just saying. And we can laugh about these things, and we can tell jokes about this stuff like this. But I know there's at least one person up under the sound of my voice right now that if Christ came back today, they're going to get cut to pieces, labeled a hypocrite, and cast to hell. And that hurts my heart. And that should break all of our hearts, church. That if we have people numbered among our assembly that are going to get cut to pieces, labeled the chief sinner, and cast into hell. But I think something that's maybe even more heartbreaking is somebody that's almost faithful. Not plain wicked. Somebody who's like, yeah, I'll do it five days a week, God. I'll do it four days a week, God. What if he comes back on one of your unfaithful days? And again, I don't, I don't think Jesus is saying like, if I come back on a Tuesday afternoon and you're watching General Hospital, is that still on? I don't know. Nobody even wants to say yes or no because they're confessing, right? I don't know if it's bad or I don't, I don't know, right? I'm just, I'm channeling my childhood in this message, right? So I don't think Jesus is going to be like, oh, caught you. Wicked. It's not how it's going to go, right? This is talking about salvation. This is talking about have we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation? Or are we saying, I'm going to live however I want to live and then I'll get it right later? Or uh, maybe I won't die or he won't come back yet, but I'm just going to do me until I'm done doing me. And I did that for 22 years. 
having never heard the gospel. I lived according to my flesh for 22 years. And I got so sick of it. And I know that there are people up under the sound of my voice right now that are sick of it. You're sick of just living night by night. You're sick of just trying to find love in people that hate you and want to use you. You're sick of just saying, well, if I can just get drunk enough, I won't feel how broken I am. I know there's people who are sick of it because I lived it. And when Jesus revealed himself as true to me, it's not like everything got perfect all of a sudden. But I said, I am now sick of it enough to choose health. I am sick of it enough to say, this is life, and that's what I want. Does it mean I've had every day perfect since I was 23? Absolutely not. Anyone want to say amen with me to that? Uh, no? <laughs> you have, the, you have the, the right for the heartiest amen of my imperfections, my wife. But the master is coming home, friends. Maybe today. And whether or not you are found faithful or wicked is far more important of whether or not you're going to go to Applebee's or Fridays. And we need to make the decision today, right now. So, so as the band is going to come back on stage, they're going to sing, a, they're going to lead a song called Jesus is the Answer. Because he's our only answer. Because here, here's, the, here's the bottom line. You can't get sick enough of it. You can't modify your behavior enough to be done with it. You can't say, I don't want to live like this anymore by yourself. Only Jesus can do this in your life. Only the outworking and indwelling of the Holy Spirit of the living God can make this happen in your life. But you have to let him. You have to say, I am repenting of my sin. And repenting, that word in the Greek is metanoia. It means stop Change of mind, change of direction. It means I was going this way, now I'm going to go that way. We have to repent of our sin, confess that he is Lord, and then he will save us from being sick of it over and over again. He will save us from all the hurt and pain and heartbreak that we have gone through and caused. And perhaps you've already made this decision in your life, but you're still walking in almost faithful. You're still walking in mostly wicked. You can repent today too. And he will come back and find you faithful. Ready, prepared, and faithful. That's what we're called to do. Because Jesus was perfectly faithful his entire life. And he is the one we're following. And he is the one who said, I am coming back. You just don't know when. So do you want him to come back and have you catch you? Right? Because that's the idea here. That the master went away and he's going to come back one day. Is he going to catch you in your wickedness? Is he going to catch you saying, I don't need you right now, Jesus. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Or is he going to catch you saying, yeah, you know, I was faithful for a while, but then I started doing my own thing. So we have to live ready. We have to live prepared. And we have to live faithful. We're going to celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, together today. And really what that is, is participating in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. 
So if you have put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus as your personal Savior, I invite you to share in the elements with us. If you didn't get your elements, you can grab them from the table right over here at the west entrance or the one right here in the middle of the sanctuary. But perhaps you walked in today and you passed the table up and you said, that's not for me. I'm not going to do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I don't want to. And maybe after hearing the words of Christ, the words of the impending return of the master, you say, I don't want to live wicked anymore. I want to live faithful now. You can do that with a simple prayer. And you can take part in participating and proclaiming the faithfulness of Christ and our partnership with him in his ministry of reconciling a sinful man to a holy God. So you can grab it as the band is singing. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Band will sing, Jesus is the answer. I want to invite us to our feet that we would celebrate together that he is the only answer. That my behavior modification isn't going to be good enough. That I can't get this right on my own. I need Jesus and I need the Holy Spirit. So we're going to celebrate together. I'm going to pray for us. We'll sing and I'll come back up and lead us in the, the taking of the elements. Father in heaven, in the mighty name of Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you that you have given yourself for us. Thank you that you are perfectly faithful to your Father, giving us an example of how we are to live, giving us an illustration of what it looks like if we choose wickedness over faithfulness. Thank you for using such clear language to almost shock us and get our attention of an event that we might be unprepared for. May we live ready. May we live prepared. May we live faithful. The only way that can happen is by confessing and repenting our sins, confessing and proclaiming that you are Lord Jesus Christ and that God raised you from the dead and we will be saved. May we put our faith, hope, and trust in you. As we sing this song, Jesus is the answer, knowing that you are indeed the only answer. We love you, Lord. We praise your mighty name. And in that name, we say amen and amen. Let's stand to our feet and worship our King, Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.